Hey, up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble, getting to sleep, trouble, staying asleep. Welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's been keeping you awake, whether it's thoughts... Physical feelings, emotions, you know, those are feelings too. Uh, sensations, intuitions, uh, I don't know, there's something else I almost had the other word, you know, like a low, low vo- too much vocabulary or too little, you know, or, you know, your pod- you say, but my podcasters, you know, but podcasts that you listen to is vocabulary. Whatever it is that's keeping you awake, could be one of those things, probably could be something else too. Whatever it is, I'm going to try to take your mind off that. I'm going to do. Uh, here's what I'm. Here's what I'm. Here's the offer. Uh, if you're new here, I'm going to send my voice across the deep dark night. I'm going to use lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones. I'm going to extend my wings of pointlessness, which are also imaginary, but uh, they're both figurative and metaphorical. And if I could find a way to make a, if I could, if I can find a way by the end of this to make my wings of pointlessness into a simile without confusing myself, I will. But I, I'm going to send my voice across the deep dark night. Uh, creaky dulcet tones, wings of pointlessness. I'm going to take a lot of meanders, uh, slow. I'll be confused. It may be confusing watching me. Uh, but just imagine, say, well, just put your, don't put yourself in my shoes. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. But if you're new here, here, here's, here's the structure of the show, and here's my, my, my pitch to you. Structure of the show, we got five minutes of business. That's out of the way. That's essential for us to keep the podcast going, uh, keep it free. Uh, then we have a 12 minute intro, which we've undertaken a few minutes ago. In this kind of a show within a show, similar, every intro is similar in its senselessness. Uh, but how I get there, how I get, how I, how I get, like how, how I make the pudding and all that stuff. You see, it's definitely, it's like, it is a bit like word pudding. We've talked about that before. Or pudding. I mean, I'm putting words in places. Word, word pudding. It's kind of like shot, you know, there's shot pudding, right? It's a shot put, but is it shot pudding? Is that the verb? Because you don't say I put, the, I shot that put. Yeah, whoa, whoa, boy, that's confusing language. I never realized it till, till just now. Hopefully I can get back to that one. Shot put, confused, things that confuse Scooter for 100 Alex or Alec, whatever, shot put. What is a shot pudding? That's not a word. Oh, I thought that was a verb. I put the shot. I shot the put. Do you see, Alex, it doesn't... Is it Alec or Alex? I ask you that once a year. Oh, that's what you always say. Every every intro I bring you up, you say, Mr. Trebek. Yeah, okay. Is this the program Vanna White's on? Oh, I knew that would make... Mr. Trebek, I just said that to irritate you. I was kidding. Anyway, so if you're new here, podcast a little bit silly... And the structure, so I'm going to do a 12-minute intro-ish, 10 to 14 minutes. Then we'll talk about Star Trek, The Next Generation. Uh, tonight we'll be talking about an uh, episode with time in the title. The name escapes me. 
and that's it. Like, here's the rule. There's no rules. Here's the, uh, here's the suggestions. You don't need to listen to me. You know, I'm, uh, but, 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 but I, I will take your mind off stuff or I'll try. But just because it's a sleep podcast, you don't, you're not under any pressure to fall asleep. I'm like your boyfriend. Like I come over. I mean, this isn't, this is a real world situation for me. This, cause I'm not going to be able to forget about the shot pudding. So I'm going to have to, but this would be the same if you invited me over. You'd say, I mean, talk about going off subject. There was this time, like uh, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, I was at a conference for work. And like another another company that had their booth, they kept in, they said, they called me. They said, I mean, we were always hanging out socially. And they said, can you come over to our hotel room and just hang out? And they were all in bed. And it was, this was a purely platonic situation. And they used to, like, they invited me over, I think, because I was, I didn't realize it at the time. I said, why would, like, a, a cool people invite me to their hotel room uh, just to chit-chat? I didn't realize at the time, like, I, like I was unintentionally amusing. Now I've channeled that into the podcast. But I'm sure, at that, I don't think I ever went on this tangent, but if you invite me over to your hotel room, you know, now I've gotten more quirky, but I'd say... You know, shot putting, again, what's the verb? Is Are you putting a shot or are you shotting a put? It's a shot put, right? P-U-T. Is that, I hope it's that. This is really embarrassing if it's not. He, they were a shot putter. There's the hammer throw and the shot put. It cannot be the first person that can, like, it don't, if you're teaching, like, uh, ESL or something, don't ever bring up shot putting. You'll confuse your students. But really, do, am I the only, is it pot? It's not shot potting. There's pot shot. Don't take a pot shot at me. But obviously that is like, that means like a, like a, like, but if you were putting a shot putting, it is the shot put. I mean, I guess I'm able to follow logic out that it's a big round ball in like back in the musket days. I assume that would be called a shot, but it wasn't that freaking big. I mean, they should just call it mini cannonball throw or maybe even cannonball throw. I mean, caber toss, it's pretty easy. You're tossing. I mean, it's more like you're, um, I guess you are tossing a caber. A tossing's a little bit because those are so heavy. But seriously, it cannot be the first person. I mean, I guess, yeah, get it. Okay, it's a shot. It's a big round ball. You're not putting it anywhere. You're you're saying you're shot frigging. You're ball frigging it. You say frigging ball, and then it goes. I mean, I guess that would be the only time, the only people that, like, if you, that would be, like, people that are putting stuff that way, they don't have nanas or grandmothers. You say, well, where'd you put the shot? Well, I threw it through that wall and those windows over on Jones's lawn. You know, luckily no one got in the way. And you say, well, you know what, that would make a great sport. I mean, rock tossing. I mean, I guess I could use an, like a historian on this one. And if you're new here, this would be the kind of, you know, if you start listening with other people, you could be baffled. And the next day you'll say, was, what was Scooter, he, he was talking about caber talk. What was he so worked up about? He was confused, massively confused. I felt bad for him. It was almost like, like one of those poorly worded SAT questions, and he was trying to work his way through it, and he just got stuck and spent 55 minutes on it instead of moving on. And then I could, he, unfortunately, he was taking the test right behind me, and he kept saying, putting shot, what do you, is the, what's the shot, are you putting or are you shotting? 
I mean, clearly at this point we have analyzed enough to know we're not, you're not, you're not shotting a put. Though, I mean, I can't see other than the, the, the say, well, it's like a musket ball scoots. So that's a shot. I'd say, okay, well, let's pretend we live, if it's from the freaking Romans, they didn't have muskets. Okay, buddy. So that puts a hole in your argument. So you could be putting the shot or you could be shotting the put. And again, I would go back to if this is a game, I thought the Olympics were based on the civilized world. You shouldn't be like, if you're putting anything, don't do it that way. So if you're new here, here's like, here's where I feel slightly confident. Now, if I've irritated you, I, I like, uh, give me a couple tries. It's, I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm really trying to just distract you. And I think for most of you, you like, I probably took your mind or distracted you. Cause you, I mean, at some point, as obtuse as my logic is, you, you have to at least, like, say, you have to at least shrug your shoulders and say, well, I mean, maybe, like, what's the worst is, like, I'm recording this, and then it has to be a broadcast. When I realize it's not, like, the shot put tomorrow, I say, oh, no, it was called the, uh, I don't know what, I, what it could be, pot, shot pot. It's definitely not the shot pot. It, that would be good. I mean, why don't they do, like, how about that, change it up? Can we get one of the Olympic uh, International Committee? I know you only take bribes from what I hear, allegedly. Well, you know, why don't we get, what, can we get, a, can we hearken this back? Let's get something like a, like a vase, instead, of, if you're going to shot put, let's, let's get a vase that'll at least break. You know, same shape, you just get a little um, collar on there. It could be the same round, we could do the same weight. You know, but it'd be way more exciting uh, if it was like a clay vase or terracotta. That's fine. Terracotta. I'm I'm sensitive. I'm into it, man. I'm game. But then, like, we could still call it shot putting, uh, pot shotting. And then it would be pot shotting. I guess that was my point. Then you'd be pot, pot shotting. Or sh- how about this? Okay, how about this? Get to, Here's a proposal. It might be earth shattering. Uh, that, that was unintentional pun, I guess. Uh, how about shot potting, like a new thing for recovering Olympians? And I can think, I think you can see where I'm going. Like they pot, they plant things by shot potting. You say, well, wh- how'd you get that shrubbery in your backyard? It looks great. Must have cost a fortune, or you did it yourself. No, no, no. Remember those uh, those Russians? They're shot potting now. It's shot potting landscaping. They just roll up. They go. They they roll up in a flatbed. And they shot pot them right off the back of the truck, you know, like uh, up in the air, right into the yard. And now you just work. It's artistic, you know, because we're estimating where the shrubs will end up. Uh, really? So it's, yeah, it's like a, it's a uh, earthen, you know, it's all environmentally correct. It, it like crashes the uh, shrubbery into the ground with some nutrients you know, peat moss, I think even, you know, I heard there's a bio, there's something biome in there, maybe biomass or biomes, shot pot. Yeah, they, it's, it's, it's a new thing. And, and they say, don't take pot shot, it's shot pot. Right, is that pot shotters? Wait, they're shotting the pot. Oh boy, I didn't realize that one. Okay, it, it, it took me a while to get to that pun. So I think, and at this point, when you're trying to follow that logic, I think I, I, I've led us astray from maybe whatever's keeping you awake. And that's what I do here. 
And usually I try to tie the metaphor to something uh, said in the episode, but I'll just close with the great Jean-Luc Picard, uh, who was uh, talking about choices with uh, Rasmussen. And he said, by refusing to assist me, you left me with the same choice I had to begin with, to try or not to try, to take a risk or to play it safe. Your arguments have reminded me how precious the right to choose is, and because I've never been one to play it safe, I choose to try. And I agree with you, uh, Jean-Luc. I think I will start the uh, pot-shotting business. Shot potters. Shrubbery in an instant. Uh, can you imagine? I mean, that would be quite a show. It would be a show, too. You'd get the neighborhood kids. You could sell lemonade. You could do it for, for a birthday party as long as you keep people out of the way. Probably if you get the right waivers, you could even have the kids or adults do potting, shop, shot their own pots, you know. I mean, smaller ones. I mean, this could change everything. You think of all the, like, uh, you know, shot putters that are, you know, doing nothing. Most, no offense, but uh, I don't know if there's a, sh- I mean, there could be a shot put world tour. And, you know, I, I, I would, uh, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I mean, talk, we get to, you know, this could be, this, we're making jobs here. You know, get a, we could have, you say, well, we, no, we're not having a bouncy house this year. We're having shot potting. And you could even, you know, you could make it competitive, faux competitive, you know. And you could do vegetables. I'm sure that, like, tomatoes will grow anywhere. So you just, we'll, we'll do, we'll start with tomatoes because you really can't mess tomatoes up. I should get an infomercial. Get your tomatoes, like uh, shot potting. It's fun. It's friendly, and it's it's you know. So that's my choice. I choose to try to put you to sleep. Actually, like that's what I'm better at than inventing. But tonight's episode has the inventor Rasmussen, the historian Rasmussen. I've shown I'm neither, but I may be neither. But it's all in good fun to take your mind off of stuff, and then at some point you realize you oh you don't have to keep listening. You can only you can kind of listen to me. And if you're new, it, sometimes it takes this is an acquired taste, uh, so it might take a couple episodes uh, to, for this. You say okay, yeah, this I, I, I didn't get it the first time, and then the second time I realized that you can't be gotten. He's, he's his brain's been potted and shotted, and I say you're correct. You are correct. Uh, Mr. Trebek, uh, thank you. That well, You didn't have to make that into a category. You could at least made it a daily double. Anyway, uh, the main thing I like to say is, like, if, you, if you're just testing this podcast, I'd appreciate you trying it. And if you're having trouble sleeping, the ma- reason I make this show is because I've been there, sleepless, staring at the ceiling in the deep, dark night. So when I say this, I mean it. I'm glad you're here. And I really hope and I really yearn I can help you fall asleep. Thank you so much for stopping by. All right. Hey, everybody. We're back. Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation Returns to Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. And Star Trek Next Generation fans you might be saying it's about time, Scoots. And I'd say, well, it was only a matter of time before we returned uh, to talk about the episode, A Matter of Time, Season 5, Episode 9. And I just got to get the episode fired up on this uh, old phone. And it's downloaded. It's not starting. But that won't, that won't uh, stop us, right? So we're dealing with the dust cloud, this one. Penthar, the Enterprise on its way to Penthara 4. 
C-type asteroid hit a continent, no people, but there's a dust cloud, and they're worried about it uh, causing an early winter, uh, just like on 21st century Earth. But Jordy's on it, working on a plan. Uh, Jordy and Riker, I'm watching them in data. They're talking about it. Uh, Rasmussen, let me run through my notes here. Let me pause the episode. Because they returned to my uh, same message. So I watched the episode once for pleasure. And then I watched it two different times when I was working out in the background. And then I broke the episodes into the ad breaks. And I would watch one every night. I was watching one segment of the show once to kind of get an idea of the story and take some notes. And then again, like taking detailed notes. And then I have it running again. So what is that, five times, six times? One, two, three, four, five, six, about six times. And honestly, it, like this may seem obsessive, but I said, well, I don't. I, I, I mean, I don't think I could watch it anymore. Like, uh, who knows? I'd fuse. I think I'd start acting like, I'd say, I'm, I'm, I'm John J. Riker, Jingleheimer, Jordy, or something. I'd start walking over. They'd say, what's wrong with you? And I'd say, make it so, my ice cream so creamy. Uh, uh, but this episode features Rasmussen, a story from the 21st century. Hey, are these story beats, I guess? I have numbers. One, Penthara 4, Type-C asteroid. Two, uh, Jordan Data on it. Riker comes in for backup. Riker goes to the bridge. Oh, really good exposition. We'll talk about that. Uh, Picard, are you one, two, three? Uh, so, sure, Worf, uh, delay of one hour. Uh, then Mr. Worf's distortion. I liked when they said that. Riker on out mission, Mr. LaForge. Uh, something. I don't know. I'm a little lost in my notes here. Let's see. So, Mr. Worf, Riker on that. Worf, what? Say that four times fast. That'll come up in our things. Oh, they say a small ship appears. So this is when the action starts. Uh, so yeah, they're they're working on this planet. Jordy's working on trying to figure out to you know deal with the climactic changes, forecasts. Riker's helping. Data's helping. Then Picard calls Riker to the bridge, uh, and Worf says, "There's a strange uh, time-space uh, distortion, sir, and there's something back there." Yeah, uh, we just almost, you know, we almost, is, uh, we were real close, 300 kilometers within the ship. Uh, and Picard says, too close to be a coincidence, Mr. LaForge. And Jordy says, oh, yeah. And then Picard says, well, how about an hour delay to check it out? And they say, okay, a uh, small object back there. And, uh, oh, then Jordy says, yeah, don't worry about it. There's not going to be another asteroid. And Data says, yeah, odds of that occurring are extremely unlikely. And then Picard says, thank you, Data. So then they, Picard says, Ensign, bring the ship about. Let's take a look at Mr. Worf's distortion. And that's when Riker goes, Mr. Worf's what? Uh, they, he comes onto the bridge. And then they they're, they're really, how they're doling out the, I mean, you could tell this is season five. They become masters at uh, giving us all this exposition, but making it interesting. So, because then Picard gets to explain to Riker, well, he says, Mr. Worf's what? And he says, oh, well, uh, Worf's sensors detected a temporal distortion on our course. Small object back there wasn't there a few minutes ago. 
then they come on the object. It's a small ship. Uh, sensors can't penetrate the hull. Uh, then they have a little com- com- a couple of comic scenes where Worf goes to hail it. And I don't know if they changed the dialogue because it seemed like they were hailing in. But Worf goes that side and Riker goes, what side? And Worf says, we've received a response. But, uh, and Picard says, what, Worf? He, they, and Worf says, they want you to move over. And then Picard kind of gets a pride, like puffs his chest up. He goes, reply, the Enterprise is not going anywhere, Lieutenant. And he goes, no, no, not the Enterprise, Captain, you. And then Picard moves back towards Worf. Uh, and as soon as he moves out of the way, uh, someone uh, um, teleports in. And they put here, let's see, 150, this was 155 when uh, Picard uh, gives his dignified speech, the Enterprise is not going anywhere. And then I put Holy Jim Carrey, because in beams this Rasmussen. He says, oops, excuse me, Captain. And I kept wanting to call him Matt, but that's because like that's because Matt Fewer is the actor. And he was on, like, an episode of Criminal that, like, when during their I got to see their live show in San Francisco. And he, he wasn't there, but they interviewed him. It was interesting about Max Hedrum. He's Rasmussen Burlinghoffer, which is just an unbelievably wonderful name. And they say, geez, what a name. What are you doing here? And he goes, oh, this, he, he's doing a lot of comedy. Because uh, he says, wow, this is bigger than I thought. Um, and again, I don't want to, like, almost a little too, he's a very physical actor and a very quirky Jim uh, in the Jim Carrey vein. I mean, I think he was doing Jim Carrey before Jim Carrey was. So very big contrast to the ship, which isn't normally stodgy, but, you know, you say, okay, these are military people. He's like a goofy, he's a bit like Dyke Brown, too, your right brain. Was that my left brain or my right brain that I just said was right? Uh, who's on first? I don't know. My left brain or my right brain? Uh, but uh, Rasmussen says, Jesus, they say, Which, what, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, all the historians know about the bridge of old uh, 1701D. And they say, where are you from? He goes, Earth, 26th century. Which no one said, whew, thank goodness, is Earth still kicking it in the 26th century? And he says, yeah, I came back 300 years to check it out, you know, see what's up. I think that's it where, yeah, I think that's where it ends. Uh, then it opens um, with, uh, okay, here's the story notes. Uh, historian, flatter me, why me, can't tell. Meeting, oh, they have a meeting. So first Picard's like, why are you here? And he's like, oh, to study you. And he goes, huh, well, and then they have a meeting and the staff want to know why now. And he, he, Matt Fewer says, Berlinghoffer says, they can't tell you, 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 you can't ask. But Troy's like, I clear you're holding something back. Uh, but they say, oh, he is human and future-like. Uh, his clothes aren't future-like, but maybe they are. And there's some distrust, but Picard says, let's make the best of it. And even Data's curious. Uh, and then there's uh, the, the, this section that closes with the Berlinghoffer with an apple and a wry look. Maybe it did two things, because then they arrive at Pentara 4, they do a temporary fix, do it, uh, crew and professor. And there's a discussion of, uh, so the crew, uh, hmm. and then the history versus the detail, perspective uh, and interest. These are kind of themes, I guess. And then someone, I think uh, Jordy figures out, you're here to witness this mission. 
when you have all, when you have the something, when you have the A-T-R-E, hmm, I don't know what that means. Uh, then he said something like, well, if it all goes well, we'll all be fine. Or maybe that's what Jordy says. And they try, then there's no change. They're working on the planet, and then they're trying, trying. Then all's well. They fix the planet. Thank you all, the guy says. Given versus time or something. I don't know what that says. Uh, to witness in... Oh, this is the worst handwriting I've ever seen in my... It looks like to withers in badabada. To witness in, in something. I don't know what that says. It'll come up again. And then there's some of that 1942 Picard face. A good Picard face. If you want to see a good Picard face, go to 1942. Okay, then we have our detailed show notes. Post open, they're, uh, he's looking at Picard's Glaston uh, Shakespeare book. And uh, Picard, Picard says, what kind of historian are you? He goes, well, 22nd through 24th century. That's a little hint, by the way. Interstellar history, you know. They always thought your book was on your desk, but don't move it because I'm here. Picard, Picard gets, this is pretty funny because he's kind of being, he's playful. He's like, oh, you don't think, my, he goes, my room isn't a historical landmark, is it? And then Rasmussen's playing along, very silly. Oh, your legendary modesty captain. What a thrill it is to be here. And then he's pointing out the paintings and like Picard's a wax figure or something. He goes, oh, you flatter me, but I can't help but wonder why you're studying me. And then he goes, even in this decade, there's far wiser and more experienced humans of Starfleets, even in this day. And then he's just walking around. He's kind of measuring the room. And Rasmussen's hamming up. Then Worf goes, then they're at the meeting. Worf goes, why now? I love Worf. You know, you know how I feel about Worf. And then Jordy says, right, you know, why are you studying us in this particular moment or the captain? Why not earlier or later? And Rasmussen goes, just wait and see. And then uh, he goes, Worf, do you always sit there? And Worf goes, usually, why? And he goes, I oh, don't worry about it. And then Riker is very skeptical, you know, great skeptic, that uh, Riker. He goes, at what point does time travel become a tool for historians? And, like, even Riker's speaking from experience, because I don't know if you were on the planet with Leland Palmer, but we really crapped it up there, and we had some good role play, but, he goes, you know, Riker's like, this is ridiculous. He goes, I wouldn't, you know, Riker's like, what kind of professor, he goes, like, maybe you are a professor, he goes, are you a tenured professor? Do they have tenure in the future? Because you don't deserve it, I think is his point. And Erasmusen kind of plays with him, and then Crusher's in, in, you know, inquiring about stuff from the future. And she goes, I can't, just can't help it. I got to know, you know, what cures they got going. And Picard says, listen, we got to keep this to ourselves. And then Erasmusen says, I'm going to do questionnaire. You all got to fill out questionnaires. So this becomes a really a good recurring joke with Worf and the questionnaires. He was complete them at your convenience. I'm concerned about breach of security. Uh, or if you're like, whatever, Rasmussen. And Jordy goes, if I hand my time, Jordy, Jordy's the joker. No offense, but his jokes sometimes can be. Because if I hand my assignment on time, can I get a glimpse into next week's poker game? Uh, then they send him out and they still are like uh, positing. And he goes, Deanna, what do you think? She goes, well, he's holding something back. 
And then Crusher's like, yeah, because he knows the future. And Troy's like, I don't know, no. And the Riker says, what if he's an imposter? God knows we've seen enough of them. So this is good, again, because they're dealing with the audience objections in a good, like, a good way. I mean, just think about it. after season five, 26, you know, so to like 130 episodes or something, uh, they really got to be on their feet, uh, the, the writers and the directors and the actors and everybody. Uh, well, let's see. They say, well, it was a temporal distortion. And then they they say, well, he, he, maybe he's not an imposter because there was a temporal distortion, distortion, distortion. Okay, one more time. They said, well, maybe he's not an imposter because it was a temporal distortion and, you know, ship's weird. And you know, so let's just keep an eye on it. Keep the ship on board. We'll keep an eye on it. I know this is difficult, but this is where it was weird. But Picard says, I examined his credentials and everything seems to be in order. I was like, hey, credentials? So I think we should extend them. And the wharf says, including questionnaires. And Picard says amusingly, including questionnaires, as Worf's uh, number one objection, 710, uh, 722, he has a questionnaire. Oh, no, these are facial ones. 710, he makes a questionnaire face. 722, another questionnaire face. Uh, Jordy's joke really relieved the tension. Even Picard was relieved. Uh, it diffused it. Uh, then, um, you know, number one, what does that mean? Examined his credentials. Uh, that was on an eight fifty. That's when your wharf says, including questionnaires. Uh, then they're on the lift. A day, he's studying Data's ear and touching Data's face, and Data co- corrects him. He says, you see, "I don't know how much history you know about the Model T." And then they, he, uh, yeah, Matthew's really putting on a performance. So he goes in the room. He's moving around, picks up an apple, tosses it around. He said, Data says, what's the problem with the room? He goes, oh, no, I just thought it was bigger. This was one place I had it did have an objection. He goes, it'll do for now. Then he goes, he knows how to turn the sink on, even though it's nothing like any sink I've ever seen. And this is where he lost me. Like, this is where I turned against Rasmussen and the first time watching it. I couldn't forgive this uh, scene. He washes his hands and then he, like, holds them out to have Data dry them or get him a towel. And he lost me. Like, I, th- I don't know if it was an intentional. If it was, it was brilliant uh, uh, to say, okay, this is clearly an antagonist. But it was so rude. Uh, it was just, like, very rude. And I said, well, I don't like this character. And uh, At first, you know, he's playful. So I think that was because, I mean, spoiler, he is an antagonist. A mild, because the planet's antagonism is a little bit more... Maybe he's more of an irritant, but we learn even Data wants to know the future, but he says, keep to, you know, keep your questions to yourself, Data. And then uh, Berlinghofer throws an apple in the air. His eyebrow goes up. And we see Pentar 4. It looked a little bit like the red square. And then Picard lays out the plan, you know, dealing with the greenhouse gases. And New Seattle's rivers are frozen. The leader, the lead scientist or the leader of Benthar 4 sounds exactly like Robert Reich. I mean, Robert Reich is on NPR. Lately, I, I don't drive that much, so I don't listen to, to local NPR. But usually for a while, 
Uh, it would be either um, Michael Pollan. If you turned on NPR during the day, the chances of either Michael Pollan or Robert Reich being on there was like a 60, 65%. And it's not criticism. Just I do love Robert Reich. Maybe we should start a podcast. I know he teaches at Berkeley. Reich, what do you think? You know, I don't think we could do it. I don't know what we do. We have to look at our Venn diagrams and see what we have overlapping because definitely your brain's a lot bigger than mine. I mean, let's be honest. But I love your voice. I do love your personality too. Anyway, so he sounds like Robert Reich. And then we better get started, uh, you know, until there's nothing left to, to, to amend. And then they're in nine forward chilling. Um, Riker. Um, Crusher and uh, Worf and 1210, Worf again. This is fourth questionnaire problem. He goes, I hate questionnaires. And they see uh, the Berlinghoffer go in, look who's here. Professor says, hey, come on over, hang with us. Uh, Riker and Worf share a look. Uh, then there's uh, he hands out the uh, uh, questionnaires, 1245. There's another something uh, something from Worf. I can't read my handwriting. It looks like Tommen. They look like lab slides from a group of high school and middle school. Everyone's calling him Professor. I guess like Berlinghofer, Professor is easier than Berlinghofer or Rasmussen. Rasmussen talks a lot with his hands. Uh, perf- perfect, I'm not here. Riker asks out thought. Uh, why no? Oh, why is there no records of other time travel historians? Riker's really on his case. Uh, right, you know, right away. Uh, thirteen forty. This rig gave it away at Bit Digital Watch. Oh, the ring. He has a ring. That's a digital watch. Uh, that, that is another. Where I was like, there's something not right about his ring. Uh, he's checking the time. We learn that Riker thinks the best invention ever is the warp coil, where Worf thinks it's phasers. And this is when I, like, again, I'm not good at figuring these puzzles out. So this is when I thought maybe this is Q undercover because he says how delightfully primitive. And because he was very flourishy, I said, could this be Q? And they said, well, that would have been the first thing they suspected. And he had human DNA, but Q could probably spoof that. Uh, Then Data and Geordi foreshadow some stuff. Uh, T.T. Clayton's, what does that say? Professor, oh, the professor shows up. I don't know what that other thing says. He's trolling Data's speed. He's like, Data, he's not very fast, huh? And then Jordy gets an idea. He goes, you're here to witness stuff. 1605, I put Data exclamation point. I don't know what that was. At, oh, he goes, that's what Berlin offers. says, Data at Pentharis 4. And then Data says, if you, oh no, Jordy goes, if you excuse me, he had to maneuver around uh, Berlinghoffer's, like, blocking his way. So Jordy has to, like, do a left, right, left to get past Berlinghoffer, uh, like a running back, NFL running back. Uh, then they talk about vision and blindness. He mentions Stevie Wonder, even. And then Matt, he, he pockets a PDA, like a personal, like a, like a pad. And then Data, he says something, Data says, he says, it, it's like he says some truism that no one's ever said before. And Data, he goes, you know, just like they say, and Data goes, I know of no one that says that. 
Like every ship has its hour or something. Um, then they're drilling. Professor shows up when they're on the bridge, drilling on the Pentar 4. He sits to Picard's left. That made me wonder, what are the seat assignments? Like, Troy's usually on his left. I guess he was on uh, the right. And I said, isn't that, Picard, isn't that Riker's seat? I mean, Riker, you know, can stand up for himself. But uh, I've seen other people sit there, too. But usually on his left is Troy. Which would make sense, I think, when you're talking about, like, a balance of power, balance of influence, maybe. You know, this was something I missed. 1715, there's a scene with a woman on Pentara 4 working on a map, and it gives her a red uh, reindeer Rudolph nose, just the way the map was, in case you're really bored. Uh, Troy on the left, oh, that's what I put. Uh, you're going to uh, give, give us what we need, cute FaceTime. No, no idea what that means. Oh, that's what it is. You, you get, Matt makes a cute face, and he says, you've given us what I, we need time, which is what the planet said. Oh, hey, you, your drilling worked. It gave us what we needed time. And then Matt's hamming it up. Very clever, uh, Captain Picard. He goes, oh, so good to be here to witness it all. But he's so over the top, we, we'll kind of learn that uh, that's part of the show. Uh, what's he up to? These are the questions for the story questions. Uh, questions come up, questions of trust, uh, curiosity. Crusher's kind of curious. And then there's questions about him on the bridge, but then there's trouble on Pentar 4 with the volcanic action, which they caused. And they want to sort it out. Look what we've done, but it's complex. Matt's still shoplifting stuff. Uh, good news if we we can ionize the plasma. Bad news if it doesn't work out, we're out. So they're in the med bay after the ad. This guy has this cut. He has a little cut on his leg. It was a WTF moment. I said, "What the heck happened to his leg?" Like, like I don't know if it was like make like hardcore watchers laugh. And Professor's really hamming up. He's saying, great job, crewman. He talks to a kid who's got great posture and energy, or he has great posture. And this seemed to break protocol. Uh, Crusher gives him a neural stimulator. And what did I put? Betalite levels. Uh, he was curious about betalite levels. I don't know if that was for his dating profile. I don't know what I was writing a joke here, but it didn't. Beta light level curious. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. So he said, I'm beta light level curious. And I said, that that's what the joke is. Put in your pro- dating profile. Yeah, no one, no one was laughing here either. Uh, he's very persistent, though. He tries to get Crusher to go on a date with him. And uh, great. Uh, I, liked, I liked how Crusher was turning him down. Oh, she says, I could be your great, 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 great grandmother. So no way I'm going out with you. That is weird. And then I, I was watching with my da- daughter one one of the times. I said, how many times did he say great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother? And she said five, I think. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Four, though, it looks like on the notes. Um, yeah, beta like curious. But who gives that a neural stimulator? I'd like to pay. I don't I know I don't want one. Uh, then they're on the bridge. Riker's watching seismic activity. The effects were so good, like on the bridge, when Riker's watching, like almost did. I said, man, that looks really, really good. Uh, also, quick question, anybody that's listening, 
is there a Star Trek font, the Next Generation font, or what font do they use? You know, that's just something that made me think about it. Also, Rasmussen had, like, an interplay with Troy at one point, and he he wants her trust, and she says, well, I don't trust you, and he tries, and she says, well, why are you worried about it? Who cares if I trust you or not? Uh, which is, you know, kind of suspicious. Uh, then uh, he goes to Data's room. Data's listening to music, blasting it. The professor goes on. He's like, what? Then we have this, like, Alexa moment. Uh, but also there was talk on the bridge that we were missing, you know, kind of talking about, uh, uh, they were talking about the questions. That's when there's, uh, wait, wait a second, uh, uh, I'm missing a little bit on my notes here, but uh, there's questions on the bridge about, the, they're talking about, geez, what questions were in the uh, the whatever questionnaire? And Riker was like, history, starships, and see if we had a grasp of the fundamentals, and Data was like, mostly on... Uh, uh, Dr. Songs, and then there's an alarm about the volcanic activity on the Earth, or on whatever, Ventar 4, and there's trouble, and they call Jordy, like, we got volcanic trouble, and they say, Jesus, the planet's in trouble. Yeah, we covered this in the story part, but I guess not in the detail part. And they say, Jesus, it looks like we did more damage uh, than help. Uh, that's not good. Uh, look what we've done to these people. Like, by trying to help him, we, we messed it up. Then that's when Rasmussen goes into Data's room, and there's music blasting. He goes, what the heck? And it was very Alexa moment, because Data's listening to Mozart's Jupiter Symphony, Brand, Bach's Brandbird Concerto, Beethoven's Ninth, and uh, uh, Ver- Ladonna Mobile from Rigoletto Verde. Just lucky enough to see at the Met uh, back a long time ago. And uh, he said, Rescue says, Can you send it down? And then Data shuts down one. He goes, No, 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 eliminate them all. And then he says, It's still too loud. And he says, Turn it down. And Rasmussen gets in the hell instead of Riker. You know, Riker or Picard are usually the ones that say, How the hell or what the hell? But he says, What the How would you listen to four music at once? And Data said, I can listen to 150 at once if I want, but. If I'm going to analyze it, I keep it to 10 or less. But I'm also, you know, rendering a movie and uh, helping Jordy, so I'm busy. So I got four. And then he says, geez, you really answered those questions thoroughly. And Rasmussen says, geez, there's not much about Dr. Soon's work uh, that survives. So he goes, really, I want to get some schematics. And Data says, sure, as long as I'm done with my work. And Rasmussen says, okay, I'm leaving at 0900 tomorrow. And then this was weird. Worf says, geez, Commander Data's calling for you. We got to patch him through to Commander uh, LaForge. So I said, oh, that's interesting. Like, you got to go through the central hub to get to Data's room from Geordi, from the planet. And then Rasmussen says, what the heck did all that mean? And he says, well, geez, there's good news and bad news. Uh, you know, we, we'll have to tell the captain. And Rasmussen says, which do you want to hear first? Let's see what other notes I have. Uh, Data Professor comes in. Oh, Data's got a dumb waiter in his room. I, I got to pause it. I, gotta, I think I can still do it now. Uh, full of stuff from the. It looks like stuff from the Three Musketeers. There's a uh, a hat, a foil, a book. Um, this screens are very small. But I said, is that a dumb waiter in his room? And there's a have and it has some books on the top of it. 
Yeah, and it looks like a costume from Three Musketeers. Uh, like, I haven't watched every episode of um, TNG, so I don't know when it's going to come up. Uh, but then uh, Worf has LaForge, uh, you know, hailing him. No direct calls, which do you suppose captains going to want to hear first? And Data has to think about it. I, I thought that was strange. When he says, what do you think? Uh, no, I said, no way. He would know. Data would know. Oh, command, 90% of the time the commander prefers uh, uh, the good news. And then they go, he tells him, geez, he, he, he goes, give me the good news. He goes, we can fix this with some sort of plasma thing Jordy's working on. Ionization, like they used to use in air purifiers. He goes, what's the bad news? Well, if we mess it up, we'll burn off the atmosphere. And then there's a quick pull of focus into Picard's face. Uh, then we have an ad, and then there's a captain's log. We're over the planet, and we're working on this plan, but it's a philosophical issue. This was a long uh, scene with a lot of interplay between Rasmussen and Picard. Uh, so it starts with Picard looking out the window. He's got a crystal in his hand that I haven't seen before either. Uh, Picard's very calm and rational. That would be a share. Yes, it would. Okay, we'll go through the dialogue. Matt's very smug. Cannot ask, but uh, he, but the whole time Picard's holding this crystal in his hand, kind of rolling it and patting it and using the crystal to make a point. He's very like a therapist at early scenes in this. Uh, but then he gets hot when Matt starts doling out the logic. They get into like a SAT level a logic debates. You know, methics, ethics, and morals. That's called methics in the future. Uh, professor tries to even, he's trying to, I don't know what he's doing. Picard's got a fish. That was the other, for the first time I noticed the fish. I think it was an angelfish or something. And Professor's kind of bugging the fish, which I said, what is it? Is it I really don't, I'm lo- like, a, leave the fish alone and talk to Picard. And then I also never noticed Picard's got this glass, plastic, uh, lucite sailing ship model. Uh, Picard again, right thing, he gets irritated and he says, it's the right thing to do. Uh, and then this is from the opening, life is making choices. And he says, geez, I can't help you, I'm sorry. We'll go through the dialogue. Uh, at this point, he seems actually sad. And then they go to the bridge. But basically what they do is Picard says, hey, I brought you here. He goes, we got this planet down there. And we could try to save it, and he goes, if we mess it up, you know, that's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. If we don't say, fix it, a bunch, you know, it's, it's we got a dilemma, and I'd like to try to make the best choice I can, you know, to protect people, oh, millions of people, if they mess up. Uh, and Rasmussen says, well, you want me to tell you what's going to happen? And Picard says, well, everything with Starfleet uh, says I can't ask you that. But he goes, 20 million people says I should do something. And Rasmussen says, well, geez, I guess this is, uh, depends on your convictions. Uh, and Picard says, he, go, he goes, well, this is the first time I've had access to this kind of information. So I have to re-examine, he goes, if I'm going to re-examine my beliefs, then I have to look at this as an asset, uh, so it would be irresponsible not for me to deal with this. And Rasmussen's like, well, just how, whatever, however you want to spin it, Captain. I'm comfortable with me. And he goes, really, just comfortable sitting back and watching. And Rasmussen says, well, what if I tell you, you know, he gives like a, like a pretty weak, uh, ar- you know, logic argument. I don't even dignify it because I don't understand it. And Ricard said, geez, we learned that kind of moral dilemma in freaking grammar school in France, buddy. 
And Rasmussen says, geez, well, wait, you know, don't you know about it? You could change the future, which is, this is a really powerful discussion when you get to the end. And he goes, I can't let you uh, mess with history. I'm too responsible a professor. Ebergard says, okay, I have two choices, but uh, either way, history will go forward. He goes, either the history you're in or another one. And he goes, who to say which is better? He goes, I am living today with two million lives. He goes, that's an incentive. And Rasmussen then gives another weak argument. He goes, well, every life ends, so who cares? Uh, really cold stuff. Ampergaard says, well, we got the prime directive, which we can't interfere with the evolution of alien worlds. He goes, I swore to uphold it, but nevertheless, you know, I've ignored it on occasion. Really good acting here. His face and the times he gets irritated are really good. He goes, if you're holding some temporal equivalent of that directive, he goes, can't you make an exception here to help? And he, Rasmussen says, it's not a choice. You're trying to change the future. And Picard, he goes, every choice we change the future. He goes, did the dance or vacation, person's life, their future hinges on a thousand choices. Living is making choices. Now, if you ask me to believe that, you know, one choice or another is going to affect your future, he goes, I don't care. He goes, your pay future, he goes, I don't know, something. He goes, I'm writing the future right now. And that's when Rasmussen looks like, like it was sad. He goes, I just, I can't help you. But it, like when, what you realize is, uh, I don't, I actually don't know what we realize. And then they get to work and then Rasmussen says, well, what are you going to do? And Picard says, well, by not helping me, he goes, you left me with the same choice I had to try or not to try uh, to take a risk or play it safe. And he goes, now I realize how precious the right to choose is. And I've never been one to play it safe, so I choose to try. Let's do it. And I love, love that because that's really some sobriety he's given me the choice to right to choose, which I gave up for a long time. Really powerful choosing. So they get to work. Everybody's working as a team. Uh, phasers are going. Sequence is locked in. Let's see what other notes I got. I choose to try. Very Goonies-like. Uh, so there's a, there was an ad, then the Enterprise turns to the planet. That's when they do their last chance, you know, this is our last chance to help this planet. Uh, Geordi stays behind in the planet to help, which kind of raises the personal stakes of the ship. It, then they asked myself, I think the first time I said, was the professor gambling on all of this? And again, we have a lot of great effects as they clear the plasma off the planet. Even, like, uh, what's his name, is sitting on the edge of his seat. Well, that's why I was asking if he was gambling. Like, he didn't know the outcome, but he had a bunch of money on it. And then it works. And they go down to Robert Reich and Jordy, and they say, we're still breathing down here. The sun is shining, and all is well. Oh, this was also me and my daughter liked this when we watched it. They say, when they call, Jordy's like, I'm going to stay down here and help. And then Data says, he could totally help down there. And Ricard says it's a big risk. Uh, there's no guarantee this will work if it fails. And Jordy says there's no guarantee it's going to fail, Captain. And I, I, I liked that. I, I, I need a Jordy. I need that Jordy in my life. I don't know some of the other, but that that Jordy uh, to say, hey, there's no guarantee it's going to fail, Scoots. Come on, buddy. It'll be like LaForge. You butterfly in the sky. 
So there's that, and then so they save the planet. And oh, even Matt says LaForge remained below. He's still doing his little um, commentary. Then the, this is when everything gets fixed. And then this this was a, such a great ending. This was really, I mean, for a subtler, more, um, well, there's a couple things while, while I'm talking. One, it's interesting when there's a guest appearance episode versus just a shipboard crew episode versus a traveling off the Enterprise episode. But I was so proud of the way this episode ended. Very um, powerful, powerful ending and realist and not vanilla. Like, I was just so happy with this ending. And, you know, not the nicest ending. Like, I just say bravo. So, let's see what happens. So, the Enterprise turns to the planet. Uh, everyone's waiting. This is our only shot. Uh, let me see my notes. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll skip the story stuff so I don't really get there one stop. Professor is connecting. Uh, Jordy stays behind to help. Uh, also, there's a Burger King greenhouse back on the planet on uh, Penthar 4. Uh, right off where all the scientists work. Uh, no guarantee it's going to fail. Professor's making faces the whole time. Uh, Riker glares when he says, Little Forge and remain below. And then Ellie Tuppercart says, Proceed, Mr. Data. And then there's EPS planets. Uh, EPS taps online. Plasma. Very good, good effects. They said the reds and the blues. Then they smoke, and the Enterprise goes blue and shakes for a minute. And then Matt worries. All's clear. Uh, very Earth-like. I thought I saw the Red Sea for a minute. Um, uh, when, like I said, that looks like the Red Sea on a globe. Uh, sunshine, Sea Captain. There was nothing to worry about. Jordy says, and they say, "Okay, let us let's cool. Let's just let this thing cool down on its own." And then Matt says, "Hey, it's time to go." And he's really tickled pink. He goes, "Geez, you did it all without my help." Uh, and he waved, pause, you know, you're, uh, oh, he goes, he goes, oh, I got to go, checks his time. Then he hit a weird pause where he says, geez, you're taller in person, Commander. And I, I don't know what that was. It just weirded me out. I said, that doesn't make sense. Uh, and then as he leaves, as Matt, uh, Matt Professor Berlinghoffer leaves, uh, Riker shares a look with Worf and then, uh, him and Riker. So then they, he goes to leave, and then they're all waiting for him. He goes, geez, look, at everybody's here to say goodbye. And they go, no, 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 we're going to look inside your ship. He goes, oh, too, too curious. He he won't give up the ghost or whatever they say. He won't let, like, end the lie. He goes, oh, no, no, I can't let you look on. It's a ethical issue. And Picard says, well, there's a bunch of shoplifting going on on the ship. And Rasmussen says, geez, like, I'm not looking for relics. I'm sure they'll turn up. Uh, you know, like that you're stealing them because they're priceless because they're so old. And Worf says, if you don't open the vessel, I will. And Rasmussen goes, I don't think so. And then Riker, double, they double team him. Riker goes, if you don't get in that thing, if we don't get in that thing, I guarantee you won't either. I really liked that. And then Rasmussen says, well, she's only, maybe only Data can come aboard because it's very sensitive. And Riker says, why? And then Picard does the exposition. He goes, Data won't tell if I command him not to. Future stuff, even though they could see onto the ship, uh, and he probably created an ethical conundrum for Data that may burn out Data's circuits one day. Uh, but then they say back in a minute, he gets on the ship, it's got a hand, like a touch ID. <laughs> and uh, 
they get in and all the stolen stuff's there. And Data says, I do not believe any of these belong to you. He goes, he had no, no shoot, Data. He goes, neither is this phaser, buddy. I'm taking you with me. And Data goes, why? For a museum? And Data rescues. He goes, nope. Uh, he goes, in the century I come from, they haven't been invented yet. And then Data says, well, he goes, it, it, it was weird because your temporal, he goes, you just, uh, and he goes, oh, this is a time pod. He goes, it's from the 26th century. This poor guy showed up in New Jersey, ran into me, and I stole his ship and his clothes and figured out how to use his ship. And then Data goes, so you're not a historian. He goes, no, a failed inventor. You know, those, uh, you, do you know what an infomercial is, Data? And he says, what are your intentions? He goes, well, uh, well, originally I was going to just take this stuff, but now I'm going to take you too. He goes, this ship's going to automatically transport. Uh, he goes, and then I'll get rich off, uh, you know, reverse engineering you. He goes, in a few minutes we'll be back in a place called New Jersey. No wonder. He goes, but you're going to be asleep, but then the phaser doesn't work. And then Data has a tough move. He says, I'm a, I assume your handprint will open the door whether you're conscious or not. And then Rasmussen gets taken off the shuttle with Data. And Data says, you're right, but he's not from the future. He's from the past. And then Picard's pissed. He says, oh, really? And you're protecting the future. What a jerk. And Rasmussen's still trying to sweet talk, but he knows his ship's going to leave. So he goes, just a misunderstanding. Let me just get back in my ship. And Picard says, well, why would I do that? And he goes, Data says, Worf, get the items. And Crusher's mad. She goes, nice performance. And he goes, no, no. I, I, he goes, I did have a crush on you, Crusher. And Data says, he's from the 22nd century. He's an inventor, Captain. And Picard, this was just so good. It was so realistic how they would really deal with it, I think. And I think this was more of a story conundrum to let the guy off easy or to give him the real deal. And they give him the real deal. Picard says, pity you weren't more inventive. Because if you hadn't stolen so, so much stuff, we would have never caught you. But he goes, he goes, the only stumbling block was your ship. You know, we couldn't look in there. But as soon as you open the door, the computer could see all the stuff you stole and turn it off. And Rasmussen says, I just got to get on that ship. I got to go. It's gonna, and then he goes, nope, we're li- you're under arrest. Uh, Riker, uh, Riker says, Worf, take him to the... Uh, cell and we'll tell Starfleet we're dropping off at Starbase 214. And he goes, yep. And then he goes, please, please. Rasmussen, obviously, he's like, holy cow. And then his ship goes away, which really solves the other conundrum that, you know, they can't keep the ship because that would be a danger to, you know. So it works out great. The ship just goes off by itself. Or again, wonderful writing and story design. Uh, but yeah, like Rasmussen, he's really crushed because they say, no, no, he goes, I don't belong here. And then the ship goes and really good acting, really good acting. And Picard, he goes, and then when the ship goes, he goes, no. And he's devastated because he's now trapped in the future. Uh, but, you know, no way to get back now ever. And I mean, talk about mind melding. I mean, holy cow. And then Picard says, I'm sure that there's more than a few legitimate historians who are eager to learn from you. Welcome to the 24th century. They cracked my daughter up. She was laughing at how how twisty that barb was. And that was a great, great Star Trek episode. Really good. Really good. And not in, and not in any like uh, highfalutin way. Just really enjoyable television. All right. Good night.